join me now as we pray together the prayer of confession that is printed in your worship bulletin. Lord, we know that your law is holy and good. We, however, are flesh and blood and subject to the power of sin. We don't understand our own actions. So often we fail to do the good thing we intend, doing instead the thing we detest. We can will to do good things, but then our actions sabotage us and we fail to carry out the good. No matter our intentions, evil is close by. We love you and your law, God, but our bodies are captive to sin. We are wretched and we cry out to you for rescue. In Jesus we pray, amen. The mercy of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. May the God of mercy, who forgives us all our sins, strengthen us in the goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Now, please share the signs of peace with each other. You know, for lots of us, it has uh, been a bit challenging to return to normal life, whatever normal might be, but I think that when it comes to the business of passing the peace, you all have picked it up again, just like that. I'm very, very proud of you, very proud of you. Friends, let me share for just a moment about some of the things that are coming up in church life so that you're sure not to miss out. Our women's spring luncheon is this Wednesday, and we are welcoming uh, elder and master gardener from our own congregation, Francie Murphy, to speak about the biblical garden. She's going to tell all the women of the church everything that they need to know about the biblical garden, and then the women are going to tell the men what the men need to know. That's just the way these things work here. We are receiving your gifts to support the ministry of Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor is a local ministry here that looks after the families of those who have come to the United States seeking legal asylum. And those families need everything that is related to raising children, all the way from diapers to strollers and other items. We're very happy to receive your used strollers, not so much your used diapers. But then on May 22nd, a few weeks from now, we're going to have a party out on the patio to pack up all that stuff and to learn more about that ministry. If you need more detail about what we would like to have, please shoot me an email or as well to Jan Farley and we'd be happy to share with you. Tomorrow we begin a major retrofit process here in the sanctuary of upgrading our audio and visual and lighting systems. The technology that we enjoy is at least 15 years old, which by those standards is from the Paleozoic era. 
If you would like to participate in the financial cost of that, which is off the regular budget, please speak with me. I'd be happy to, uh, to take your checks and your Bitcoin and whatever else you'd like to give to us. We are beginning a new Monday evening Bible study, just a four-week study that's going to look at the book of Proverbs. It will commence on May 16th. It will be both an in-person and online study. For more information on that, contact Laura Metzger. And then I need to let you know that uh, Jan Farley is going to be back late this week. For a couple of weeks now, she and a small group of folks from the church have been walking the Camino de Santiago. And so far, it looks like they're all still alive, at least according to the Facebook pictures. Speaking of walking, all of us are on a walk with Jesus. And one of the things that means is that we learn from Jesus how to give of ourselves. It is because we follow Jesus that we learn to be generous and helpful in all of the work that the church does. So as the next music is being played, I invite you to walk down to the front if you feel so led to share your gifts and offerings or in some other way to bring your gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Let us pray. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, in humility and in hope, we come before you in this moment of prayer. You alone are the founding force of all that is and of all that will be. You alone are the saving grace who gives life meaning and joy. And so to you alone, we bring the deepest joys, desires, hurts, and needs of our lives. We know that there are many today who face challenges that are beyond anything we have ever known. For the hungry who may never get enough food, for the enslaved who may never enjoy freedom, for the diseased who may never experience healing, for the poor who may never know abundance, we pray. Surely by your power, even they can be blessed by the knowledge of your love. Surely they can have some of your joy in their lives. So we ask that you would grant them these things. Even more, we ask that you would move in the hearts of those who can help so that such human suffering would decrease and one day come to an end. We also know, good Father, of needs within our own community that will not be met without your healing touch. We need you to stir from us our complacency and move us toward action. We need you to give us courage to speak healing words to those whom we've hurt or those who have been hurt by others. We need you to help us find a way to overcome the hatred and division that we so easily embrace for those who are different or those with whom we might disagree. We need you to ease the fear and confusion that is in our own hearts as we stumble our way through uncertain times. We need you to continue to seek us out and to welcome us as we dare to invite you and your life-changing presence ever deeper into our hearts and into lives that grow and then overflow with gracious love into our often loveless world. Oh God, each of us has at least one thing on our minds right now that we cannot shake. One thing for which we most need your intervention, and we name it and speak it to you now. Touch us where we most need it today, and then lead us in the next steps of our journey of life with you. Thank you, Lord, for listening. Thank you for answering. And thank you for your presence with us in your Son as we pray together in the words that so long ago he taught us to say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
more than two decades ago, as we worshiped in the old sanctuary, our associate pastor, Paul Nelson, stood up to say a prayer following an anthem. And he said, why do I always have to be the one to follow the angels? <laughs> Friends, stand with me. As together, we listen to the word of God as we find it in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be blessed by the reading and hearing of this word, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Why are you here today? That is not an excuse to get up and leave. I suppose some of us are here on campus, at least, for the donut holes. We're here for the music. We're here because we want to be with other people. There are some who are joining us today via live telecast or recorded telecast, and for them, the donut holes perhaps are not as important, or maybe it's not worth traveling halfway around the world to come get our donut holes. You can listen to the music online, and with our new system, the folks that are online will be able to hear a bit better. Sometimes I suspect that people who are online are not interested in being around other people. I don't know. There are good reasons to decide not to want to do that still, and we certainly respect that. But it's a good question to ask, I think, and truth be told, I ask myself that question pretty much every Sunday morning on the drive from home to here. Why would anybody want to come and be here, whether in person or online? Well, let me see if I can answer that question. I think that the reason I come, and whether you know it or not, the reason you come to be here, is because we all want to bring our tiny little specks of lives that we live, and we want to place them before something that's bigger, we want to come from out of who we are and what we are. We want to come from out of our history and out of our dreams about the future. And we want to put all of that within a context that is more meaningful, into a context that has more power, more meaning, more, more truth behind it. 
We want to come and find some way to be touched by ultimate truth, by ultimate reality, ultimately, of course, by God. And we do that. We seek that intersection between our lives and God so that perhaps we can do a little better tomorrow than we did yesterday. That's why we're here. Now, we Christian folks, we Christian folks tend to look for that ultimate truth, that ultimate meaning, of course, in God. Not everyone does that. We believe in God. We believe God speaks through the Holy Spirit. God speaks through Scripture. God speaks through the history and tradition and theology of the church. God speaks through our friends in the faith. God speaks as we come and are gathered. God speaks in music. God speaks in architecture and art. God speaks in all of his creation. And we are shaped by that. That's why we're here. And so, we will continue here to place ourselves in front of God, before God, as we listen to what God has to say. Today, we are starting a new series of sermons. It's going to take us all the way through the summer. By the way, Juan, it's May 1st. Summer's here. I need to rest just a minute. (laughs) Summer's here. We're going to call summer four months long. Through the next four months, while I'm here in the pulpit, we are going to look at one little place in God's Word that I think does an unusually beautiful job of putting us in touch with those ultimate realities, with connecting us with the really, really, really big stuff so that we can be touched for our lives. And we're going to do that as we read through the letter to the Ephesians. Now, most folks agree that this letter to the church in Ephesus was written by Paul. Paul, one of the great heroes and saints of the church, of course. We believe the letter was written sometime around the year 62, about three decades after the events of the Passion and after Jesus bodily and physically left the earth. The letter is to the church in Ephesus, one of the most important cities of the Roman Empire. It was a rich city. It was a powerful city. It was a center of commerce and religion and culture. We don't really know how big the church was at that time. It might have been larger than the gathering that's here today. It might have been only the size maybe of the choir. We don't really know. What we do know is that Paul was most likely in prison. His career, if you will, was just about over. He had grown up as a Jew, as a Pharisee of all things. He had heard about Jesus, rejected Jesus, persecuted the people who followed Jesus, and then he had a come-to-Jesus moment. Actually, Paul didn't come to Jesus. Jesus came to him. 
and that changed his whole life. Paul then began a life of trying to understand what he already believed, of trying to explain what he already knew, of trying to describe a life based on that understanding and trying to teach that and model that and nurture that among other people, some of whom had been like him, who had at first rejected Jesus, and others who were completely unlike him, who didn't even really believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So this Paul begins his letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you wonder if it was worth going to the trouble of standing up just for that tiny little piece of scripture? <laughs> for some of us, it's a big deal to stand up. <laughs> Well, it's easy to skip past what we understand is the salutation or the greeting of the letter. It seems just like the beginning. That's it. It's short, and we want to get to the meat. We want to get into the heart of what the letter has to say. But not so fast. The heart of the letter the heart of the message of the gospel is right here, right up front. You don't have to eat the appetizers. You don't have to have a cocktail beforehand. We go straight to the main course. Paul, let's stop there. All right, I talked a little bit about Paul. We know a lot more. We don't have time to talk about it now. When Paul puts that at the beginning of his letter, it's like putting the return address on the outside of the envelope. How many of you, when you get the snail mail from out of your old-fashioned post office box, stand at the post office and flip through the mail, and based on who it's from, it either goes home with you or it stays in that huge trash bin of recyclable paper? Who does that? We do that with our snail mail. We do that with our other communications, don't we? The instant you receive my email messages on Thursday and on Saturday, I know that some of you don't read them because you ask me all about the stuff that I've already told you about. <laughs> Paul. This is Paul writing to a church. The folks in Ephesus, we think, knew Paul. So maybe they would pay attention. It's more than just a greeting. It's more than just a way of identifying who's writing the letter and maybe trying to get people to pay attention to the letter. It's from just Paul. I'm firmly convinced that if the Apostle Paul were standing here in front of you, he would say today, I'm just Paul. Forget about the St. Paul business. Forget about the venerated place in which the church has placed me. I'm just Paul, a person just like you, no worse than you, no better than you, a person who is privileged 
to know Jesus. It's important that you and I understand that the truth of Scripture, the theology of the church, all comes through people just like us. For some folks, that means we can't trust a single word of it. But for me, it means that I want to trust all of it and that I can learn from all of it because it spoke to a normal person then. It can speak to a normal person now. Paul to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. There's another word we have to pay attention to, saints. Saints are, for some people, a football team from New Orleans. That's great, that's a start. Saints, for other people, are manifested in little statues that you put on the dashboard of your car or hang on your wall. For the New Testament, when you called someone a saint, you didn't mean that they were particularly holy, especially important in the history of the church. They hadn't been vetted by the church and certified as having performed a miracle. Saints was everyone who trusted Jesus, everyone who followed Jesus. Everyone who sometimes failed in following Jesus, but still wanted to follow, still was trying. The saints were simply the whole church. All of you are saints. There's St. Bill sitting right there. St. Colleen sitting back there. God bless you, my son. <laughs> the saints are in Ephesus. They're in a real place, a real city. Lots of you have been to Ephesus. Who's been to Ephesus here? I know some of you have. You've been with me. Did you forget? Oh, there we go. Ephesus is a very impressive city. They keep digging it out, and we're impressed with the, with the mosaics that are there and the beautiful homes along the main highway and the, the magnificent amphitheater that's there. Ephesus was a beautiful city, just like America's finest city, which is where? San Diego. Excellent, excellent. Paul to the saints who are in Ephesus. People just like us. Last time we were in Rome, first time we were in Rome, maybe the last time we'll ever be in Rome, who knows. I was impressed by some of the paintings that we have from the first century and even before. Paintings of Roman people. You know what? It never had really occurred to me that that they look just like us. I should say that differently. We look just like them. Real people, the people of the Bible are real people, writing to real people in real cities just like ours. All the saints in Ephesus. Right there, you have a magnificent declaration that the world is full of people. Have you noticed that fact? If this seems like belaboring the obvious to you, I'm sorry. I think the world needs the obvious belabored to it pretty much every day. Because I see and I think you see so much behavior around the world and maybe even inside our own hearts 
that seems to indicate that we think we're the only ones here. They tell us that when a child is born, that an infant believes that it's the center of the universe, right? Mothers can attest to this fact, perhaps fathers too. And that's understandable. The whole universe for the child has been wrapped up with the child. It's only when the child comes out of the mother that the child begins to understand that there's something else out there. And the first something else that's out there is the mother. The child doesn't even understand that it's a mother. All the child understands is this is the agency through which I get food. It's all about me. Now, in normal, natural human growth and psychology, as a child grows, it begins to learn that there are other people out there, and it's not all about me. To some extent or other, you and I are in a process of growing away from absolute self-centeredness to a place that we hope eventually becomes other-centeredness. I know, Gary, right now you're thinking about all those people who haven't grown one bit, have they? Still all about them. No, you're not thinking about those people? Okay, maybe it's just me. What can I say? The world is full of people who also are self-centered people, just like you are, just like I am, and we have to deal with that fact. We have to deal with the fact that there are other people in the world. How are we going to do that? I would propose to you that we do that by what Paul has said here in his mere greeting to the letter. Paul to all the saints in Ephesus who are in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ Jesus, in the Savior whom we say we follow, in the Lord whom we say we trust, and the one who has saved us from ourselves, it's in him that we find the purpose, the meaning, the magic for living a life that can actually be successful. The first two human beings to enter the world, according to the story of Genesis, in a natural way, not a supernatural way. Adam and Eve arrived supernaturally, and then because of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel showed up. Now, let's not get all excited about the science behind that. Let's just look at what the meaning of the story is. The first two people to arrive naturally on the face of the planet had a hard time getting along with each other, didn't they? All people have a hard time getting along with each other, but it's only in Jesus, as we follow Jesus, that we learn how to get along with each other. So right there, in the salutation of the letter, that's the beginning of the letter, okay? We have the whole description of who we are. There's me, there's you, there's Jesus, and we have to deal with each other. But Paul has more. Paul says at the beginning, I skipped over it on purpose, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. There's that God language. 
that being, that creature, that intelligence, that power, that thing that's out there that we cannot describe completely with any of the words that I've just used or all of the words that all of us could use. We're all here because of God. What in the world is God doing? Why are we here? What are we here for? Paul actually tells us. And it's still just in those first two sentences. At this rate, we're going to finish this series in Ephesians in the year 2036. (laughs) We'll pick up. We'll pick up. First of all, when Paul says by the will of God, he is proclaiming, he's admitting, he's confessing that there is God. There are people today who do not believe that there is God. They believe there is no God. In Paul's day, pretty much everyone believed there was God. They actually believed there were many gods. Paul believed there was one God. We believe there is one God. We believe God is. Some believe that even if there is God, God doesn't care. God isn't here. God's not interested or involved. We believe God is, we believe God is here, we believe God cares, we believe God is involved because we know God through Jesus who came here, who cared, who was involved, who is involved with the power of the Spirit. Our problem is not that God does not pay attention to us, it is that we do not pay attention to God. So what is this God like? What is the will? What is the intention? What's the plan of God in the world? I'm very fond of saying to people, many of you realize that, especially Jan earlier this week. When I say to people, I need you to do this job, the way I say it to them is that God has a plan for your life. And I am going to tell you what it is. If I say that to you, hold on to your checkbooks, I'm coming. Paul reveals the will of God to us in a phrase that I hear occasionally around here that all of you, if you've been coming for a while, should have memorized by now. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. Grace and peace. I know we all want to know God's will for our lives. Should I move to Nevada where the taxes are lower or should I stay here in California? Should I marry this person? Should I marry that person? Should I do what my mom tells me? Should I not? Of course, there are an infinite number of ways in which we want to know more specifically what is God's will, but they are all wrapped up in God's will expressed here by Paul when he says grace and peace. God's will for us is grace. Theological terms, what we mean by that is God's unmerited favor. Unmerited. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But we have it. 
We have God's favor. From before the beginning of time, before you ever showed up on the face of the planet and started messing up your life, you had God's unmerited favor, God's grace. God wills grace for us. He wills that we would experience grace, that we would share grace and live graciously with others. And then there's peace. We've been talking a lot about the absence of peace in the world since the end of February especially. We've been talking about war. War and peace, that seems to be what life is all about. But peace is not merely the absence of war. Peace is the presence of every single good thing in life. All of the blessings of life. Peace is not just about a ceasefire. Peace is about everyone actively seeking and working for the good of everyone else and everyone having everything that they need. That's peace. That's shalom. That's what God wants. That's what God wills. That's what God invites us to as we follow Jesus. And so here's one way of describing that ultimate truth and reality that you actually have come here for after you eat the donut holes. There is you and there is me and there are a whole bunch of other folks who are all connected because of our familial relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants ultimately to connect everyone in that way. And as we're connected, as we follow him, we are connected to God and we learn the life of God, we learn the will of God, and we live by what God taught us. We live with grace, we live for grace, we live by grace so that we might have peace. Now, I understand, believe me, I understand that grace and peace are often hidden, distorted, corrupted, Sometimes they're hard to find, sometimes they're hard to believe, they're often hard to live out. Nevertheless, this is who God is, this is God's will. And if it's God's will and God's character that is built into the very fabric of creation, grace and peace will always win the day. And so let me paraphrase. Jack, an apostle of God by the will of God, to the saints who are in Rancho Santa Fe, or wherever you happen to be, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please join me in the affirmation of faith as printed in our bulletins. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. often have some homework planned for you, but there's nothing particular in my mind today. So I could either say to you, take the week off, but I ain't going to do that. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. That is God's will for you, for his world. Figure it out. I think you'll do a great job. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you today and forever. May God's people say, Amen. <laughs>